This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. CanDo is navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello, I'm Michael Simmons, and this is Coffeehouse Scots. Today I'm joined by Stephen Daisley, Katie Balls, and Fraser Nelson. Now, for anyone who listened to our first edition, we all had to justify how Scottish we were to earn our place on this podcast, and uh, Fraser is joining us for the first time today. So, Fraser, could you state your claim to why you should be on Coffee House Scots? Well, before I joined The Spectator, I was political editor of The Scotsman and kind of marinated in this world. I served a tour of duty in the Scottish Parliament, and I was also educated in Scotland, primary, secondary and uni. However, that is quite often not enough for the SNP's self-appointed genealogists. I've been challenged a couple of times about how pure my Scottish blood is by Trish Marwick, the former SNP presiding officer. Scottish birth, she once told me, does not a Scotsman make. Sometimes it uh, signifies a Scotsman on the make. That was her suspicion. And Mike Russell, the SNP president, has also um, questioned my Scottish credentials. Partly I accept it because my accent is a little bit unusual, strikes a lot of Scots as irritable vowel syndrome rather than an accent. But what can I say, I've, uh, I've lived abroad, but I am and will be while I breathe a Scotsman. Fair enough, we'll, we'll take that as a pass. Now, Katie, there's a story that has just dropped about uh, Kate Forbes. Can you take us through that? Yes, so this is the Daily Record, which has been running, I think, fair to say, probably more negative Kate Forbes stories and positive Kate Forbes stories. And this is a scandal that SNP leadership contender Kate Forbes, her husband, attended private Tory hustings. So her husband, Ali, is being questioned on whether he is a Tory. He went to these hustings, but they are saying, this was when it was Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss, so the first Tory leadership contest of 2022. And they're saying he attended as a, as a non-member, but clearly using it to suggest that there is not just a tartan Tory, but a Tory in that household. I think it's a, it's an interesting one in terms of should it be the case that Kate Forbes, because this is the implication, is judged on how her husband votes? Is it an issue? Obviously, Nicola Sturge's husband was very much SNP, but it did eventually cause us some problems. And Stephen, do you think this story will damage Kate Forbes? I don't think this will do any damage whatsoever. I don't think you can have a situation where Scotland is run by this kind of diarchy, husband and wife team, for such a long time, and then suddenly get very concerned about whether um, a woman has the same politics as her husband. I think a lot of people will see it as patronising and sexist. You know, Kate Forbes doesn't have to have the same politics as her husband. He can be a Tory, he can um, do whatever he likes. And this is a, another thing where it's political elites being totally out of touch with how ordinary people think about politics. Ordinary people do not check the politics of their partners. They are, you know, before they sort of, you know, before they go into a relationship, ordinary people don't live and breathe politics. I think most people will just ignore this. But, but there is a contingent of the SNP membership who basically detest Tories. The word detest was Nicola Sturgeon's. And there is a sort of never kissed a Tory contingent in the Labour Party and in the SNP. Now, it seems that Kate Forbes might stand guilty of having kissed a Tory. She might do it quite regularly. And that is something which... um, Oh. oh my god. He's yeah. not coming back on the podcast. <laughs> your first and last appearance. Let him enjoy that and speak. And if that diminishes her in the eyes of activists, then so be it. But I've got a feeling that sort of activist wasn't likely to vote for her in the first place. 
worrying, worrying developments. Also this week, we had the first hustings of the, the leadership campaign. Um, Stephen, you wrote about that for Coffee House. Who won? Well, my take from it was that Hamza Yusuf won. Uh, I think Kate Forbes on the details and on um, on the policy specifics was far superior. Hamza Yusuf was more relaxed, he was more at ease, he was more confident. He was in his element, I think, in front of a sort of Lanarkshire SNP member audience, which is sort of his um, his kind of, you know, his audience. Whereas uh, Kate Forbes was, I think, a bit wonkish. But, you know, it is the first of, I think, a dozen hustings, believe it or not, which I don't know why anyone thought we needed that many. So there's plenty of opportunity for, for you know, her and, and Ash Regan to, um, to, maybe, to maybe sort of improve. Yep. And Fraser, you've spoken about this week about the polling that's shown Kate Forbes seems to be doing better among SNP voters than Hamza Yusuf. But do you think that's reflected from what's coming out in the hustings? Do the, does the polling represent members? Well, but that's the big question. Party members are a very difficult group to poll, and I think any poll that claims to do that should be treated with a large pinch of salt. It's not difficult to poll SNP voters because there's still you know, a massive chunk of the Scottish population. But how many of them are card-carrying members? And if you're a card-carrying member, would that make you more inclined to basically take the party line? We all know that um, Hamza Youssef is the official party candidate. We also know that the SNP machine is quite well-disciplined uh, machine. I mean, a lot of them are sufficiently up with Nicola Sturgeon will have gone off to join the Alba party by now. So that's why I still think, while Kate Forbes would be, in my view, the most effective leader, the best able to reach out to people who aren't SNP voters, the, 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 the classic problem is that if you have got broad appeal to reach out to your non-voters, that's going to make you less attractive to your core. We saw this during the Tory leadership campaign. Liz Truss went down brilliantly with Tory activists, and they chose her over Rishi Sunak. Now, this, of course, raises another question. Are activists the best people really to choose a party leader for that reason? Do you want somebody to rally your base or to win you a referendum? My gut feeling is that the SNP wants somebody to rally the base right now. So we'll have to see in the, in the Tory-style repetition of these hustings how it all plays out. And another development we've had this week is John Swinney, who is, of course, the Deputy First Minister and seen as um, Sturgeon's right-hand man, has resigned. And taking that along with Sturgeon and Blackford uh, losing his leadership position last year, it seems maybe this is a, a new era for the SNP. Do you think that's right, Stephen? I think there is something of a generational shift there. I, I think also it indicates that, you know, I mean, John Swinney has been has been sort of he's been leader in the past of the SNP. It was a very unhappy period, but he made some really important reforms that improved party discipline and made the SNP machine more effective. He has been you know, first finance minister and now deputy uh, first minister for going on 16 years. So he's more than done his part. And, you know, this is about seeing, in a way, actually Nicola Sturgeon said this, the leadership contest should show the talent of, of the SNP. Now, whether it does or not, but, yeah, I think there is... I think you are seeing the passing of the torch to some extent here. And Katie, is that torch passing on in the Westminster party as well? So, so I think you can see it in the sense of, obviously, there was a plot to oust Ian Blackford, which had to have a few attempts to get there. But you could see there was a frustration and a sense that these MPs no longer... They wanted to have a progression and also some frustrations towards Nicola Sturgeon, the handling. So we've already had it in Westminster to a degree. Um, you have a 
Stephen Flynn and then his deputy, Murray Black. I think it'll be really interesting to see, depending on who wins this contest, how the Westminster group works with the new First Minister. Because you can imagine if it's Hamza Youssef, that will be pretty aligned in terms of the things they're talking about. But if it is Kate Forbes, I wonder if you actually end up having a little bit of a divide. Well, I mean, like, you know, Mary Black, you know, has been quite outspoken and critical of Kate Forbes, you know, on on Forbes's views on same-sex marriage. And that has got to be, to put it mildly, would be a very, very tense relationship if Kate Forbes were to win. But, but Mary Black is also, you know, she's something of a bellwether for younger sort of millennials and younger members of the SNP and sort of where they are, not just on social issues, but on on sort of independent strategy. Um, So while I think Stephen Flynn and Mary Black would probably get along better with Hamza Yusuf, it is worth bearing in mind that there is also impatience among uh, some of the MPs about the progression towards independence. And we have heard from Hamza Yusuf, you know, he's, he kind of says, well, we shouldn't get bogged down in process. And what, all, what that means essentially is well, I'm kicking independence into the long grass. So that's a potential sort of strand of, of tension in that relationship. And also in that group, I think obviously one of the big questions is, do you try and make the general election a de facto referendum? And of course, if, if you were to do that, and it's I mean, Hamza Yusuf is already distancing himself from the idea that it would necessarily need to be one. But if you were to, it's the SNP MPs who are basically the ones being put up to to, to feel the judgment of that. Um, so they have the, the strongest views on it. Yes, and the, you know, the, it is um, the, the, the de facto referendum is um, something that the leadership candidates are sort of kind of trying to run away from, except Ash Regan, God bless her, who, whose policy is de facto never end them, so that every election from now until the end of time will be about independence. Um, given we know so little about the membership in terms of polling, what do the fellow panellists think about the chance that Ash Regan could actually do a lot better than we expect in the sense that she's going so hard on independence if we think the membership is a, is a very pro-independence? I doubt she's got much of a chance at all. I mean, if you're going to go over the official party line, you'll go for um, Hamza. If you want to a, a, a break a different direction, then Kate Forbes certainly represents a big break. I'm not quite sure what box Ash Reagan ticks other than being the sort of um, Alba Party reconciliation candidate. And it's funny that I, I do actually think that the SNP's full talents, as Nicholas Sturgeon says, might not be on display here because because of their sort of slightly stylish structure. They only wanted one official candidate to go forward. Now, why not two or three, you know, who could have been seen to have um, Sturgeon's blessing? But so, so, But for that reason, I think it's basically, you've got a continuity candidate, you've got a change of direction candidate. I'm pleased Ash Reagan's in the race. I think she's um, making it more lively. It's far better than having, as the Tories did, a sort of two-candidate referendum. But I do feel that we could have had more candidates in the mould of Sturgeon or more, more a greater choice or some choice of continuity candidate. Uh, Ash Regan is the Zoomer candidate and there are lots of Zoomers in the SNP membership, just as you saw in the Tory leadership, there was, there were, they had their uh, Zoomers who were so keen on Liz Truss. I, the, the, what you know, militates against that though is SNP members worship the water that Nicola Sturgeon walks on. And the impression, very heavily given that Hamza Yusuf is her candidate, that will have, I think, a significant bearing on a lot of members, even those who might like some of the things that Asher Yun is saying, even some of those who might like that Kate Forbes has this, you know, I think her um, approval rating 
uh, as finance secretary. Um, the most recent polling was like plus 14, you know, net positive uh, as, as finance secretary. I still think that this is fundamentally a Nicola Sturgeon's party. And so you have to assume that Nicola Sturgeon's candidate is the front runner, and that is Hamza Youssef. Okay, and um, just to finish us off for today's podcast, Scottish politics is obviously famously amicable and friendly. Of course. But that might have changed this week. Can you tell us what happened, Stephen? Well, this is the, the week of the F-bomb in Scottish politics at uh, PMQ's. Uh, Stephen Flynn, the uh, the leader of the SNP at Westminster, um, was picked up saying, for fuck's sake, God, what the fuck was that all about, sorry, when, um, it's when uh, Keir Starmer had mentioned, he was asking a question about a Peterson pet, and then yesterday at First Minister's Questions, the Scottish Tory leader Douglas Ross was interrupted mid-question by an oil and gas heckler and was picked up on uh, the microphone and saying, for fuck's sake, uh, which she then um, very sheepishly apologised for. As best as I can tell, that is the first time that the phrase for fuck's sake has ever appeared in the official report, the uh, Scottish Parliament's equivalent of Hansard. So Douglas Ross has now made history. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Fraser. Thanks, Katie. And thank you for listening. <laughs>